So how is everybody today? Good? Yeah? Let's pray before we start. Father, I thank you uh, once again for this opportunity to share uh, the words that you've given me, thoughts and ideas. Uh, Father, I pray uh, that my words would be your words and that anything that is not of you would be uh, quickly dismissed and forgotten, but that your words would linger and uh, would pierce the minds and hearts of the hearers. So we give you thanks and praise, Lord, and I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to jump right in with a video. This is something I, I want you to watch. So... It's all right, Ann. Frank, what can I do for you? All right, you got me. That message yesterday, I'm ready. Ready for what? Just tell me how much. How much what? Come on, I heard you loud and clear about fools building bigger barns. I'm no fool. Well, that's not exactly what I said. Come on, is it 10%? What do I owe? You don't owe anything. Come on, just give me a number. There is no number. No number? Well, then what was the whole, you know, bring your stuff to the, the place? <laughs> Bringing the tithe into the storehouse. That's it. I, I, I can't stop thinking about it, about how, you know, God wants me on that wall and how he's, you know, cheerful with my money. You know, I, I'm just ready to settle up, so just tell me how much to write this check for. Why don't we sit down? Listen. I can't tell you how much you should give. It's good to know that you listened and thought about what I said. But I think I need to clarify a couple of things. God doesn't want or need our money. He doesn't. If you remember, in the message we talked about what Paul said to the Corinthians, that every man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. God doesn't care about an amount. He cares about the condition of your heart. My heart. So, you know, I don't owe anything. I don't owe, you know, my portion of the rents, you know, helping to pay your salary. None of that. God takes care of all that. Yeah. So I just give whatever I want. Whatever you feel led by God to give. Right. So, uh... <laughs> Is this 10% on the net or the gross? What? <laughs> All right. Well, the reason I wanted to start with that was because I think this video kind of serves as a reminder that uh, when it comes to talking about the T word, there is a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of people, uh, and at least some 
part of the church that treats tithing as if it were a bad word, which is kind of why I came up with that, uh, that playful title, we'll call it, uh, today's message of being the T word. Um, and, and you know, there certainly has been a lot of notable examples of very high profile televangelists who have abused money and um, have probably made a lot of pastors somewhat hesitant to talk about giving much less talk about people giving 10% or more. Um, but, I mean, I can speak from personal experience as part of a family that has practiced sacrificial giving for close to 20 years. I can speak very confidently, confidently and tell you that you will be blessed beyond measure if you will, as the Nike ads used to say, just do it. So, for a moment, I want you to try and forget everything you've ever heard about giving and tithing. And just try to listen to what I'm going to say with ears to hear. Uh, because I want to very biblically explore this subject of tithing by, as we have been doing throughout this series on God and money, by answering a series of questions. Okay? So the first question we're going to look at is this one. Where and how do we start giving? And maybe even start thinking about giving would be a better way to say that. So there are uh, some believers that believe that tithing is the pinnacle of giving. So they imagine that as long as we tithe, we've fulfilled our obligation to God and can do whatever we please with the remaining 90%, which supposedly belongs to us. But we know differently because we talked several weeks ago about several weeks ago about the fact that it all belongs to God and that we are not owners but stewards, right? We're stewards of what he's given us. Now, <clears throat> there are others in the church who are utterly convinced and they have actually dedicated their lives in some cases to convincing others that tithing should never be practiced under the new covenant. They believe that someone who thinks that they should give a minimum of 10% to God is in bondage to legalism. They consider the teaching of tithing and often the practice of it to be a cancer in the church, a manipulative tool that unscrupulous leaders use to fund their pet projects and exorbitant lifestyles. Now, there are such leaders, but the problem is with the leaders, not with the tithing, okay? Now, when you sort of look at this in whole, those two extremes can be pretty bewildering, I think, to a lot of people. And I don't really align myself with either camp. Um, the purpose of talking about tithing is, first of all, not to promote legalism. And it also doesn't mean that I don't distinguish between old and new covenants. Um, but I think it makes sense to talk in terms of tithing because that's where God started with his own people. New Testament giving actually goes far beyond tithing, which is something that people who hold those extreme positions often fail to even mention or recognize. But the principle of tithing was ingrained in the belief and the lifestyles of early Christians most of whom grew up in Jewish homes. They were Jewish. And then this came about 
out of their Jewish faith. So there are many passages that teach uh, that the giving, about the giving of first fruits and tithing. There's uh, Exodus 22, Numbers 18 and 24, Nehemiah 13. And so let's talk about that for a little bit. So the, this idea of first fruits refers to the very first products of the seasonal harvest. Okay, so they're, they're gathering in the produce of what has come from the harvest. And the very first fruits were those things that were considered to be holy and God's sole possession. Okay, so symbolically, the giving of the first fruits acknowledged that God was the ownership of the land and all the crops that would come from it. And so before people consumed any of the harvest, they were to give God the best representatives of the first part of the harvest. And if this wasn't done, there'd be no blessing on the remainder of the crop. Now, first fruits does not indicate necessarily a specific amount, but tithing actually does. And so the first teaching of tithing occurs in um, Leviticus 27.30. And it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So in other words, the tithe belongs to the Lord, not to the one who pays it. And the tithe applies to everything, not just some things. It is supposed to be holy, to be set apart and given to God and not used for something else. Now, there are those that will try to argue that, well, it talks about crops and it talks about herds, and so therefore only farmers and herdsmen were expected to tithe. Well, now, if that were true, then that would have been a very high percentage of Israel's population, because most of them probably were farmers or herdsmen. But there's every reason to believe that everybody earning an income was supposed and expected to give 10%. I mean, it doesn't really make sense that, that non-farmers and non-herdsmen would be exempt from a law that affirmed God's ownership, recognized his provision, and, and the assisted spiritual governance of all citizens. You see, priests made offerings on behalf of all the people, not just the farmers and the herdsmen. Second Chronicles 31.5 says this, as soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all and of all the produce of the field. See, God doesn't, doesn't say the farmers of Israel or the herdsmen of Israel. He says the people of Israel. The term is all-encompassing, and, and there's no way you can suggest that there's an exception to it. And these products that are mentioned in, in, in this passage really are only examples. I mean, later on in the same verse, we're told that uh, the people of Israel brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Okay, so if somebody made or sold clothing or pottery or jewelry, surely the same level of devotion to God as evidenced by the tithe would be expected of him or her just as it was expected of farmers and herdsmen. It just stands to reason. 
And see, the, the very, very first reference of tithing is in Genesis 14.20, where it says uh, that, Mel, that Abram gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. And so that everything in that context would have been all of the spoils of battle, because there had just been a battle. And that would have included precious jewels, pottery, clothing, art, eating utensils, crafts, as well as money. Okay, so that's, that's sort of where we would start in, in the discussion of this. The next question is, well, what exactly does tithing mean? Okay, well, literally, the word tithe means a tenth part. Now, some people will use tithing as a, uh, as a synonym for giving, but it isn't. You can't donate 2 or 4 or 6% of your income. Well, you can, but you can't call it a tithe any more than you can whitewash a fence with red paint. It just doesn't work. The Creator warned the Israelites that to present anything less than the full 10% was to rob God since the first 10% belonged to him, not them. For that, we will look at uh, Malachi, as the guy from the video said, but we actually refer to it as Malachi. <laughs> and Malachi says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. It's kind of hard to miss the fact that in addition to the tithe, God speaks also about cheating him of contributions. So there was clearly an expectation of God that his people should be giving above and beyond the 10%. And since a voluntary offering could be due God under the old covenant because he had desires and expectations regarding the giving of his individual children, why shouldn't we expect the same under the new covenant? Now, we don't know the exact amount that he expects people to give in a free will offering, and that's something that each individual has to decide for themselves. But the point is that God does have an expectation and is not pleased when at least that minimum expectation is not fulfilled. In his law, God taught his people to set aside a tenth of their crops as a teaching tool. He said this in Deuteronomy, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, like any good practice, tithing can certainly be misunderstood and abused. But I think God really intended for it to give us perspective when it's practiced properly. It reminds us that everything comes from him. 
And that whatever amount we choose to give should not be like a tip that's just kind of tossed on a table after a meal without even really thinking about it. It should be a meaningful expression of our dependence upon God and then the underlying gratitude that goes along with that. And, and even if you don't believe that there is a biblical argument for tithing, I still think it's a mistake to just dismiss it, you know, because it does have some logical and practical benefits. For example, tithing is very clear and very consistent. And it can easily be taught to people, including children. It increases a believer's sense of commitment to God and to God's work. I think, you know, it also can be a very significant factor in spiritual growth. I mean, personally, I've heard a number of people's testimonies where they've talked about how their spiritual lives were revolutionized once they discovered how to give. And so for them, in many cases, raising the, their level of giving to 10% was this defining spiritual breakthrough point in their lives. Now, they didn't stop at 10 but that's how they got started in this discipline. If Western Christians, all the Christians in the West, gave at least a minimum of 10%, the goal of world evangelism and feeding the hungry would probably be well within reach. But see, that would be just the beginning. Because often people who learn to tithe then move on to a free will offering that's even greater than that. But without a reference point, where do you start? And so I think that's why we should start in the same place that God started with his children Israel. I just don't think there's any real difference between us today and between them uh, at that time in regards to this idea of honoring God with the tithe. All right. Oh, I didn't realize I had that in there. Moving on. Isn't tithing legalism? This is where it gets interesting because you'll find a lot of Christians that can get pretty upset that tithing is nothing more than, than legalism, that, um, that tithing is bondage and that God has liberated his people from bondage and, and therefore what we should only practice grace giving. Now, tithing truly can be legalistic and it can be very self-righteous for some people. But you know what? So can church attendance. So can reading the Bible. So can prayer. So can how you dress, how you eat, what you drink, and, and how you recreate. I mean, you can, make, you can get legalistic with all of those things. There's nothing in our lives that can't be corrupted in some way by legalism. But the solution to that is not to stop going to church, to stop reading the Bible, to stop praying, etc., etc. And it, isn't, it also is not to conclude that tithing is inherently legalistic. I don't think that's charitable or creditable, credible, giving the, the, the many Christians who do actually practice this and really have drawn closer to God as a result of it. 
Now, let's, I want to dive in a little bit more into the Old Testament practice of tithing. Did you know that the Israelites actually gave three tithes every year? But one of them was only given every third year. So cumulatively, the three tithes that they gave amounted to about 23%. But let's just consider one. Let's just take one, uh, the one that was supported by the religious leaders and something that believers are also told to do in this era of the church. Galatians 6.6 says, those who are taught the word of God, oh, I think I do have this one. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Now, in contrast to the 10% of the the 10% that the Israelites were commanded to give to the Levites for their spiritual leadership, the average giving of American Christians to support the churches, the spiritual leaders, the missions work, and the help for the needy totals about 2.5% which is roughly one-fourth of what it's supposed to be. Now that statistic suggests that the Israelites were four times more responsive to the law of Moses than the average American Christian is to the grace of Christ. Think about that last sentence and ask yourself, does something need to change? When you consider that many Old Testament saints gave not only just the other two tithes, but free will offerings above and beyond them, the gap between their giving and that of Christians today is truly stunning. And, and I think this I only believe in grace giving claim rings hollow if it suggests that God actually expects, expects less of New Covenant Christians than Old Covenant people and less of today's wealthy church members than yesterday's poor Israelites. These were not wealthy people. I mean, our standard of living would make them, I mean, there just isn't a comparison. And I think it's an insult to apply this term of grace giving when what you're really talking about is a radical lowering of standards. And when you consider that New Testament believers understand the redemptive work of Jesus and have the indwelling spirit of God, the irony becomes even sharper. And consider the example of the early church who were spirit indwelt, but certainly not wealthy. Oh, I don't have that one. Let me read this. This is from Acts 4. <clears throat> All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. See, rather than falling short, of a 10% tithe, the early Christians, when they were faced with these needs, went far beyond it. They shared everything they had. They believed that what they had was really not theirs. 
They believed that it belonged to God, and so they made it freely available. Now, yes, of course, we should be pro-grace and anti-legalism. But shouldn't we also be in favor of spiritual disciplines that really can launch people into a life of consistent obedience? See, there, as I said, there's, there's many, many people who were launched into this kind of a lifestyle because they started to tithe. And, you know, there are probably many very sincere and many very generous people who argue against tithing. However, after years of being in this role, and hearing what people have to say about tithing, I have found that most of the people use these arguments as an excuse for their own lack of giving. The worst dressing down I ever got after speaking on this subject was from someone who had never given a penny to this church. And some are take, take the moral high ground as they do it, thinking they are living by grace while they condemn those who see value in tithing as being, as I said, in bondage to the law. And so I would say that if someone suggests that tithing isn't for today, perhaps they need to examine their own hearts. Are they actually demeaning the transforming power of grace and advocating spiritual-sounding grace-giving as a license just to cling to the wealth that they have. Tithing is kind of like training wheels on, a on the bicycle of giving. And if you don't need the training wheels, that's great. You know, if you're giving away 20, 50, 80% of your income, then you don't even have to think about tithing. But sometimes the bicycle is just laying there in the grass, going nowhere, which is the case for roughly 40% of professing Christians who surveys show, not making this number up, give away nothing. So instead of rejecting it out of hand, why not try the training wheels until you learn a new discipline and you don't need them any longer? There's nothing to lose, and there's a great deal to gain. And if 10% if seems legalistic to you, then start at 11, 12, 15%. That'll take care of the legalistic aspect for you. If that works, then great. All right, well, if tithing is no longer a law, could it still be a good idea? Well, Jesus affirmed that people should tithe. Did you know that? but he skewered the religious leaders who used tithing as an excuse to avoid other responsibilities. Here's what he said in Matthew. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. 
You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Because Jesus directly affirmed it in this passage and also because very prominent fathers of the church, such as Augustine, Jerome, Irenaeus, all taught tithing as a Christian norm, it seems to me that the burden of proof falls on someone who says tithing is not a minimum standard for God's people. Some argue against tithing by saying the New Testament advocates a voluntary offering, which was the passage that the pastor quoted in the video from Corinthians. Well, yeah, it does, but as we've seen, so does the Old Testament. So does the Old Covenant. Voluntary giving is not a new concept. Having a minimum standard of giving has never been incompatible with giving above and beyond that standard. It isn't that the floor of the tithe somehow made invalid uh, or or made invalid under the new covenant. um, It's just that the ceiling of Christian giving goes far beyond it. And see, when Jesus told his disciples to go the second mile, he already is assuming they had already gone the first. Tithing is not the finish line of giving. It's the starting block. Now, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember a time when vehicles did not have seatbelts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Trust me on this. And phones had these dials on them that you had. It was weird. So cars cars had seatbelts, but you didn't have to wear them. This was really where I wanted to go with this. Now, I do remember that when they didn't have them, but... Uh, and, I re- and I can remember this as clear as day. My dad hated them. He threatened to take a knife and cut them out until somebody told him it was against the law to do that. So then he just stuffed them under the, you know, under the seat so he didn't have to deal with them. But he made us wear them. But it wasn't, you didn't ha- there was a time when, when it was not a legal requirement to wear them. So let's just think about that now. So let's suppose that in this day and age, all of a sudden somebody decides to repeal the seatbelt law. Would you stop wearing yours? Would you tell your children or your grandchildren, take off their seatbelts. We're not under the law anymore and we don't want to be legalistic, so we're not, just, we're not going to wear seatbelts. We're not bound by legalism. No, you wouldn't do that. A good idea is a good idea, whether it's part of the law or not. But we shouldn't conclude that, you know, if you've learned the value of tithing, then that's wonderful. But we can't conclude that, you know, other Christians, whether children or adults, can't benefit from the use of this standard as a jumpstart on a life of Christ-centered giving. Here's the $64,000 question. What if we can't afford to tithe? 
Well, when somebody says, I, you know, I can't afford to tithe, then I wonder how they would answer this question. If your income were reduced by 10%, would you die? My guess is that they wouldn't. Somehow they would manage to get by. Which is proof that they really could tithe. Truth is simply they don't want to. See, and there, we've, this country has gone through many different times of economic difficulty where many, many people have lived on 10, 20, and even 50% less than what they were making before, than what they were used to. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but they managed to make it through, thereby proving that they were wrong if they believed that they couldn't live on 10% less. And the irony is that many people can't afford to give precisely because they're not giving. If the minimum of tithing were expected by God and he promised to provide for those who trusted and obeyed him, doesn't it seem reasonable to expect that today he would empower me to get by on 90% instead of 100%? In fact, aren't I a lot safer living on less and being inside God's will than living on more and being outside of it. It comes down to priorities. See, the Israelites who had returned to their homeland from exile found themselves in a very similar place. They, they busily spent all their money and time working on their farms and building their homes, and they let God's house, his temple, lie in ruins. Clearly, this was a case of mismanaged priorities. So God spoke through his prophet Haggai, who said, You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busily building your own fine houses. God wants us to get our priorities in line with his. And when we withhold giving instead of, you know, blessing, well, should, let me say that differently. When we withhold giving instead of blessing our financial transactions, he often puts them under a curse. Now, many, many Christians will testify that they can live just as easily on 90 and others 70 or 80 as the 100. People have, I have actually heard people say that their financial problems began not when they tithe, but when they withheld the tithe. Now, others may ask, well, you know, all right, you're talking about 10%, and I, I haven't, you know, I haven't been giving. So wouldn't it be okay if I started at like two or three or maybe 5%. Sounds reasonable. Well, yeah, and certainly three or 5% is better than nothing. But see what you think about this logic. Now, suppose I told you that for the last year, I have uh, been making a practice of knocking off convenience stores. Like I could get away with that, right? <laughs> Could you describe 
the robber. Yeah, he was like. <laughs> so, and, and I've, <clears throat> I, I brag that I've knocked off about a dozen convenience stores last year. And then I say, this year, I'm only going to rob six. Now, that is an improvement, but is that what you would advise me to do? See, surely the solution to robbing God is not to start robbing him less. It's to stop robbing him at all. And so the question is, do we rob God by giving him less than a tithe? Or by withholding free will offerings as he desires for us to give them? I said it early on in this series. You all are God's money managers. You are the stewards of what he gives you. And these are questions that you have to answer as his money managers. And then to our friend on the video's question, should we tithe on our gross or our net income? All right, well, let's explain this. Gross is the total amount that God provides you. Net is what is left after taxes and other deductions. Now, some say that money that we don't see isn't really income. However, are we not the beneficiaries of taxes and insurance and other things that are withheld from our paycheck? And if God bases his blessing on what we give, then we should ask ourselves, what do we want to be blessed on? The gross or the net? Do we not desire, as Malachi 3.10 says, that God would open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings? And by the way, shouldn't we trust him to choose what form those blessings take, even if they're not financial? And so may we continue to be generous and wise with whatever amount of his money the God of sovereign grace calls upon us to manage. Now, to sort of close this, I've given you assignments the past several weeks. We talked about um, materialism. One week, you know, I, I talked about just taking, you know, money that you were going to spend for something that you normally spend it on and, and do something else with it. You know, give it away, give it, to, uh, give it to the church, give it to some other ministry, just do something different with it. Well, also, during that part of materialism, I think the next week talked about, all right, you know, we, we collect all this stuff and we talked about how, um, you know, storage facilities are, are one of the fastest growing businesses in this country because we just can't seem to get rid of everything. And so, uh, you know, I suggested, why don't you go find something that you could get rid of, sell it, and then give that money to a ministry of some kind. Well, through, this, uh, through what we've been talking about today, I've referenced Malachi chapter 3 a couple of times, but I've never actually shown you the entirety of Malachi 3.10. So let's look at that now. Malachi 3.10 says this. This is the full verse. 
bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And this is the part I want you to understand. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is the one, only that I'm aware of, this is the one area in the entirety of Scripture that it's okay to test God on. We're told not to test the Lord your God, but he says it right here. So here's my challenge. This is going to be called the Malachi 310 challenge. It's going to go on for the next three months. And here's the challenge. If you aren't currently not tithing, I want you for three months to give 10%. And here's the, here's the good part. If at the end of three months of doing this, you do not believe that God has blessed you in some tangible way, we're going to actually take God at his word. We're going to put God to the test. If you do not believe that God has blessed you during these three months that you have been giving 10%, I'll give you all of your money back. No questions asked. You come and say, Jeff, I tried this. I don't see anything different in my life except that I'm 10% poorer than I was when I started. I'll say, fine. I'll ask Clyde to look up in the system. I say, how much, you know, has so-and-so given? And we'll cut you a check for that very amount. It's how strongly I believe that this is going to bless you. Now, if you're already at this level, you can't, well, I mean, you could. You could up it if you'd like. <laughs> but I'm really sort of aiming this at people who, you know, have in the past struggled with this idea of, of you know, I don't, I'm, just, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm like, try it. Just try it. And, I mean, honestly, if you come back to me at the end of that and say, it's just, I tested God, it didn't work. I will happily give you all the money back. Won't argue with you. Won't ask you any questions. Just say, all right. Clyde, how much do we owe? So give that some thought. I truly believe that so many people don't, don't take this seriously, don't really believe that God is truly going to bless them. And I, as I've said many times, I can only speak from my own experience. And, you know, and I've told this story before, but when I left um, the secular working world to take a significant, doesn't even seem like quite the right word, <laughs> cut in pay, <laughs> um, we, we, you know, we were kind of not sure how this was going to work out financially because we had bills like you guys do. And, uh, you know, we even sat down with our son who was still at home at this point and, and 
talked to him and said, you know, this is what dad's doing and there could very well be some changes <laughs> in our lifestyle as a result of this. Only then to have him years later bring this up and say, you know, that never happened. Nothing ever really seemed to change. And I'm like, you're right, it didn't. God provided. We always had more than enough. And we just, we kept right on giving at, you know, a 10% or above level through all that. And not once did we ever need anything and had more, you know, than we could even ask for. So, but you don't have to believe me. <laughs> you can believe what God says. All right? Well, if you wore shoes, you wouldn't be cold. <laughs> See what I have to deal with? I don't think quite this to this degree, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> All right, let's, if you could uh, dim the lights, please. I love you. I love you. <laughs> if I could have uh, some folks up front to pray, please. And maybe today, um, if you, if this challenge is sort of a uh, intriguing you, maybe you come up and you get prayer for it. Say, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence. Boy, I'm just not sure about this. I just don't see how this is going to work. Well, get prayer for it and see if that, it doesn't help. But we have people up here to pray for not just that. There's for any variety of things. If you have some physical issue that's going on with you right now, and uh, if you're in pain especially, don't leave here without having somebody pray for you. That's just silly. We've seen God heal so many different things, so many different ways over the course. Um, Bobby and Jim aren't here today, but Thursday they came uh, for our prayer time, and, and Bobby was complaining that her wrist was just really bothering her. She had, um, some of you know she's a nurse, and so what she does is she takes people's blood pressure all day, <laughs> and she's constantly pumping that bulb and it's just caused it to be extremely sore. Um, and so um, she said, I can barely move my hand. So I prayed for it. I had her husband, Jim, pray for him. And by the time she left here, she was doing this with her wrist. It had no pain whatsoever. It's just one example of what we see all the time. So um, avail yourself of prayer truly is God's gift to all of us. So, as I say every week, you're free to stick around and worship, get prayer, just hang out. 
if you need to leave, that's great. We've enjoyed, love having you, and hopefully uh, we'll see you again in, in next week. So uh, I will pray, and let's, we'll just do a dismissal and go on from there. So Father, I thank you for how clearly I believe your word is about this subject of giving. And you know how hard it is for me to do this, to address that. Because it's a sensitive subject for many people. But that doesn't make it any less true. And so, Father, I just pray that your, these words do not fall on deaf ears. And that if people that people would truly understand the blessing that awaits them as a result of doing this. So Lord, I thank you and Father, I just bless all of these your people now. I thank you for bringing them here. I thank you for their faithfulness and their generosity. So bless each and every one of them as they move forth from this place today out into this world where there are so many lost and hurting people. Father, let each one be a light into that dark and broken and hurting world. And let them allow their light to shine so that others who are in the darkness see the light and are attracted to it. So thank you, Lord. We give you praise and honor and glory for who you are, for what you do, for what you have done. And I ask this prayer now in the mighty and the holy and the precious name of Jesus. Amen.